Welcome to the Autism Empowerment Podcast, your source for acceptance, enrichment, inspiration, and empowerment in autistic and autism communities worldwide. Wherever you identify in your autism or autistic journey, Autism Empowerment is here to meet you along the way. We are an autistic-led podcast, 501c3 nonprofit charity, and publisher of Spectrum Life magazine. On our previous show, we talked about autism support groups and nine points to ponder in the journey for connection. Today's episode will also have a support theme. We'll be covering taking your priorities and turning that into a plan, search tips to help you cut through the clutter, benefits and pitfalls of different types of support groups and forums, and finally, strategies to encourage a loved one to seek support. Join Autism Empowerment podcast hosts Karen and John Krejci as we go more in-depth on what you should be thinking about as far as support for you or a loved one. And we're up and running. Hello, John. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. It's great to be back here in the studio, and welcome to all of our listeners. Hello to our listeners. Thank you for joining us. My name is Karen Krejci, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Autism Empowerment, and I'm going to be one of your hosts for today's podcast. I'm here again with my husband, John Krejci, who is our program's director and other co-founder. Today is episode number five, and we're going to be expanding on episode four, Autism Support Groups, Nine Points to Ponder in the Journey for Connection. If you did not have the opportunity yet to listen to that show, it's absolutely okay to listen to this one first. However, we do recommend checking out that show afterward as it will help save you time and energy by helping you prioritize your support and your support group needs before you begin actually searching for support online. Since John and I have both been participants and leaders in a variety of different types of groups, we're both going to be participating in the Q&A portion today. For now, though, I'm going to turn this back to John to take on the primary duties of asking questions and helping keep us on track. I'm happy to be the conductor for today's show. Choo-choo! <laughs> so, Karen, why are we going over this topic today? First of all, we're expanding from the last show, which was mainly discovering priorities for what you might want to think about when you're searching for a support group. But today we're going to be uncovering other things. There's just so much to talk about when it comes to support. We all can use support. One of the questions that you had asked me in the last show was what was one of the most common challenges that I would hear from people in my work at Autism Empowerment? The answer to that has to do with feeling isolated or alone. I hear that all the time as well. Yeah, and whether or not you're an autistic adult who just feels like you don't belong or an autistic youth who doesn't feel like anyone gets you or you're a parent who's had a child that's been recently diagnosed and you want to have someone to talk about it with, the feeling that someone else gets you and you're not alone is very powerful. Having the chance to share and hear ideas from someone who's been in a similar situation can really help reduce that isolation and loneliness. So it's worth another show to be able to carry some of those thoughts further, but to also share with our listeners some other ideas that we didn't have the chance to cover. Many of us find it hard to ask for support. It can be difficult finding the right words to describe how you feel, and even harder finding the right person to talk to. But having the support of others can help you cope with whatever it is you're experiencing. And so it's important to have a plan. So why is it important to have a plan before you start looking for support? Oftentimes when people are seeking out support, it's because they're experiencing some sort of pain. And with pain, people want relief. And with relief, people want to generally get that as quickly as possible. So having a plan maximizes the use of your time. Nowadays, everybody is busy. Saving time is a good thing. Having a plan also reduces frustration and it saves your energy. If you're trying to help a loved one find support, having a plan will allow more buy-in from that person. 
the easier you can make things, the more likely that someone is willing to give it a try. So we've talked a little bit about why we're covering the topic and why a plan is important. How can we empower our listeners with their own plans? Where should a person start when they're seeking support? First, we're going to go ahead and we're going to start with the what. I heard you say, how can we empower listeners? Where should they start when they're seeking support? First of all, we have to go back to the what. What are we looking for based on our priorities and needs? So if you go back and listen to our last podcast, which was the nine points to ponder in the journey for connection, we talked a lot about assessing priorities. We showed you how to do that by looking at nine different points to consider. So assuming that you're seeking connection and you're seeking to learn from and interact with others, what is important to you when searching for a support group or support forum? We're not going to go into depth on those points to ponder, but I do want to share them briefly to introduce them to people who may not have yet heard episode four. I think it would also be a good review for those who have. So again, thinking what is important to you when searching for a support group or a support forum or a type of support. Point one would have been affiliation. Are you looking for a group with an attached entity like a nonprofit, a healthcare provider, or school? Or are you looking for something that's more casually based? The next two points were audience and demographics. They tie together. Who's the group geared towards? Is it general or specific? What are the demographics of the people who will be attending? And of the types of conversations you might be having? These will intersect with a variety of different identities as well. We then talked about location and also time and day of the week. Where does the group meet? When does the group meet? These can often be deal breakers. Cost. Are there costs? What are they? Expectations and rules. What's expected of the group members and does that align with my thinking and my preferences? Does the group have guest speakers or are there pre-planned topics? That's mainly asking yourself about group format, education opportunities. Then finally, the last point was attitudes and beliefs. This is one where you're going to need to spend some time checking out or vetting groups once you have an idea of what is important to you in terms of attitudes and beliefs. This one requires the most time and research. So you look at all of these points, these priorities, and you look at these as your qualifiers. They're going to help you determine what's important to you and determine what are your must-haves and nice-to-haves with the group and what might be deal-breakers. So common deal-breakers would have things to do with your schedule or your accessibility or potentially even your costs. Once you have those what's, you're ready to search. But before you do, you need to ask yourself, why am I looking for support now? I will repeat that again because it's very important to think about this. Why am I looking for support now? Support in this sense is a broad term. So I'm going to break it down into different things that you can think about in terms of why you might be looking for support. The first is you may have an urgent specific need. You need to get an answer to a question. It's something you need fast. Maybe you need a referral to a dentist who does sleep dentistry. The second reason that you might be looking for support now is if you're trying to help someone or yourself that's in an emotional crisis. That would be an urgent thing. That wouldn't be something where you're looking for a support group. That would be where you're looking to alleviate the crisis. Those seem to be short-term things. Yes, very short-term things. Whereas other reasons you might be looking for support now is that you're looking to get connected. You want to reduce that isolation or loneliness so you'd benefit from connections with others on an ongoing basis. You might be looking to help yourself and educate yourself further on autism culture in general or ways that you might be able to help yourself or a child, and you might benefit from mentorship from others who get it. 
Those would be more medium or long-term things. A lot of times people want to just have the answer to a question. Tell me the answer and then I'm happy and I'm done. And then that short-term need is solved. For a lot of people who are seeking support, that type of need would be served very well by perhaps going to a forum or a message board or an online group where you can just ask a question get the answer, and then you've got the answer, and then you can go. The other short-term need, which we talked about, which was trying to help someone or yourself in an emotional crisis, which is more urgent, that type of solution would be something like a mental health crisis line. That might be something like a suicide hotline, 1-800-273-TALK. It might be a text line, a national crisis text line, like the texting home to 741-741. Those types of crisis lines those national ones as well as regional ones like linesforlife.org, youth line, senior line. Those types of crisis lines and crisis centers are resources for individuals that are going through mental health crises. And we'll have those in the show notes, correct? Yeah, we'll have those in the show notes. Most crisis centers are there to be able to help you with your essential needs immediately. They're important, but they're not the focus of this particular show. So for the purposes of the rest of the discussion in this podcast, we're going to be focusing on short-term educational needs, and longer-term ongoing needs. The crisis support is essential, and we'll link to the hotlines and resources in the show notes, but it's not the focus of this particular show. Okay, so let's expand on that. So you want to ask yourself, what is your objective? And that ties in with what I mentioned earlier. Why am I looking for support now? Am I looking to solve a particular problem, answer a question, or perhaps I'm looking to gather long-term education? Or maybe I'm looking for immediate information. Your answer to that question is going to depend on where you go on your next step in the path. So if you're looking for immediate answers to a question or a particular problem, again, you might want to go toward that discussion board or forum. Or maybe you might just want to check out a toolkit or you might want to check out a particular educational resource. But if you're looking for support now because you want to hear people share or you want that emotional connection, you maybe want to build friendships, perhaps you want some sort of social opportunities, that's where you're going to be looking more for in-person groups or Facebook groups, perhaps even things like Discord, gatherings, meetups, those kinds of things. Also, for people that are looking for support now, maybe they want to go through some sort of a support program. And maybe they don't want to do that alone. An example of that might be a 12-step program. It might be a short-term series about a particular topic like IEPs, or it might be about cognitive behavioral therapy and working on anxiety and things like that. So those types of things might be reasons why someone might want to find a group to go through a program with others. That makes absolute sense to me, and hopefully it does for our listeners as well. Now that we have some idea on their priorities, including what they're looking for and why, let's go more in depth into the weeds on this. How has COVID-19 changed the way people find support and support groups? Right now, you're not going to find many in-person support groups in the Oregon or Washington regions. It may be different in other parts of the country, but even so, they would have to be restricted in size and there'd be other social distancing restrictions. And it would be very difficult to have the same type of impact that they would have pre-pandemic. A lot of people in our community may be considered high risk or vulnerable due to other related health co-conditions and may also be hesitant to meet again in person due to concerns about others not following safety protocols or rules. It's one thing to wear your own mask and to know that you're going to be social distancing and respecting personal space, but you just don't know the dynamics of who might show up and if they're going to follow those rules. 
I see that out in the public when I have to go into a grocery store. I can control my mask wearing and my social distancing, but not other people's. Some people are going to have different belief systems about that, and some people are going to have medical exemptions. And because we really can't control what other people do, a lot of the support has moved online. It's either moved online through groups like Facebook groups, or perhaps it's moved into Zoom meetings, which can be really difficult for folks on the spectrum to navigate through. It's good for some people, not so good for others. There's also things like online teletherapy, telehealth. That would be through a local practitioner where you might get support counseling that way or a service like Talkspace, something along those lines. People are also finding support for specific topics through webinars, which is actually a really good thing because a lot of nonprofits are putting out good content that's accessible to everyone. So you might be able to tap into the knowledge of a nonprofit that's offering a topic that's all the way across the country where you wouldn't have had that benefit before. In, in some ways, COVID-19 has changed the way that people are able to access information. A lot of organizations that may not have had a good strategy to release their content online before have now been able to adapt and to be able to do that. So I think that can only benefit people who are looking for support and education in our community because there's a lot more quality content out there. A lot more accessibility as well. Mm -hmm. People have also moved a lot to forums like Reddit or Wrong Planet. And then some people are using texting support. Some people might be doing publications, ebooks, magazines. And Spectrum then, Life Magazine. <laughs> Spectrum Life Magazine at spectrumlife.org. <laughs> <laughs> and then groups that are more social like meetups at meetup.com, they're finding opportunities to meet up virtually as well. So that brings me to my next question. How do people find groups or forums that might be relevant to them, that they can evaluate against their own personal priorities? What would they use to search? Let's go ahead and talk about search a little bit because, wow. <laughs> I'm sure it's not as easy as just putting in autism support near me or anything like that. Okay. So when I first started looking for support back in 2008, I found really quickly that it's very difficult to find what you're looking for if you're putting in general terms. And that is especially true today. The more resources and the more things that are out there, the more difficult it is to search through the weeds. Let's first talk about the typical ways that often people will search and why that might not be a good fit. You mentioned autism support near me. If you type in autism support near me, you're going to find a lot of sponsored ads and a lot of therapists and paid providers that are not necessarily going to be relevant to you in finding support. You might find different types of therapies, for example, but you're looking for an autism support group. So why are these results coming up? They're coming up because the people that have the services are looking to see what people search for. And if people are searching for autism support near me, they know that's a good keyword to buy, so they will put their ads on that keyword. It's a little bit complex. I'm not going to be going into those types of algorithms and so forth with you. But what I will say is that if you are going to search in a search engine like Google or Bing, you want to try to type in autism support state name or autism support city and state you're going to get more accurate results. You mean like Autism Support Washington or Autism Support Vancouver, if Washington? You, yeah, if you're doing Autism Support <laughs> Vancouver, you will get... Canada. British Columbia. <laughs> so if anyone in Canada is listening, that might be relevant to them. <laughs> yeah. It's not a perfect thing. You're going to have to play around with this. But most people, if you start to type in a word into a search engine, they tend to autofill what's most commonly asked for. So people will oftentimes just go, oh, if that's commonly asked for, it's going to give me the best results. And so they'll go with that. 
And oftentimes it won't. Yeah. (laughs) So that's just a little tip. Save yourself some time. Try autism support state name, autism support city and state. That sounds like a great tip. Okay. What else do you have? If you're thinking about autism in general, the Autism Society National, they have an autism source database and they have a lot of different resources in there that you can search based on your zip code or your state or location. But it's important to note, especially nowadays, that with any database, information can become outdated quickly. Especially with COVID-19. Especially. I noticed that when I was delivering the magazines, how things can change. Right. Because often organizations will input their own data and then they don't change it again for years. If an organization goes out of business, no one's taking it out of these databases. Or if a contact changes within an organization, they don't change it over the contact person. So that's the challenge with a lot of these databases, because then what happens is Other databases use their data to pick up for theirs. Ah, that's tricky. And so I've had the most difficult time trying to change data for autism empowerment in other places that I never submitted to because they're picking it up from other places that are old. My point to this is when you're looking through a database, just keep in mind that some of the information may not be the freshest. It'll give you a place to look, but just keep that in mind. So back to the Autism Society. They, as an organization, have local affiliates, state affiliates, or a combination of both in almost every state. The state affiliates serve usually the entire state or the communities that aren't served by the local affiliates. Then the national office supports the needs of individuals and families by providing information, referral services, advocacy, and education. If you live in this area, it would be good to go to Autism Society in Oregon because they cover support groups and different types of resources for all of Oregon plus Southwest Washington. Autism Society of North Carolina is another autism society that's very active. Because these are individual chapters, they're run independently. Some are more active than others. In Washington State, our autism society is not as active. So the autism society is a good place to start, but just keep in mind that it may be different from state to state as far as how much you're going to find. Are there other resources that you can share with our listeners? If you're a parent, This is a site that a lot of people do not know about. It's called parentcenterhub.org. In each state, there are parent training centers and information centers and community parent resource centers. These are government funded in order to be able to have some sort of parent support program for people who are parenting children or adults with disabilities. And so if you go to parentcenterhub.org, you'll be able to find the parent center that is in your state. They're also at Parent Center Hub on Facebook. So parent-to-parent type of programs are contracted by disability-related nonprofits, so they're going to have different names in different states. But these types of groups, since they do receive that funding to stay active, they're going to be able to have resources and referrals for you. In Oregon, for example, it would be FACT Oregon and also Northwest Disability Support. In Washington, it could be PAVE. Then there's another really good site called informingfamilies.org, which is really helpful for people who are searching for support for people with disabilities in Washington state. In many states, the ARCs handle some of the parent programs. It's going to be different depending upon your state, but parentcenterhub.org can give you that start. It can get you to someone who is a parent representative that can help you find potential support for what you're looking for. What about mental health? Mental health, yes, this is a huge crossover. 
one good place for you to check out is NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org, because they often have peer-led support groups. A lot of the challenges that folks on the spectrum have are mental health related or associated like anxiety. So they have groups like this. They also have groups that are specific to particular conditions like depression or bipolar. They also have groups for women or LGBTQ+. NAMI.org is a national organization, but they have NAMIs, again, similar to autism societies where they'll have different state NAMIs and different regional NAMIs as well. Are there other types of resources to look for? So if you are affiliated with a university, a college, check with your disability services department. If you are parenting a child who's school age, check with your special education department because oftentimes they have a pulse for what's going on in the community and there may be some resources there as well. If you're an autistic adult, places to check out that would be good would be the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. You're not necessarily going to find support groups, but you're going to find toolkits and a lot of support resources that can help you with specific issues. AutisticAdvocacy.org. For women, the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network also provides a lot of support, and they're at AWNNetwork.org. If you're just looking for social groups about particular topics, check out Meetups.org. So that's a lot of information. And again, we're going to put some of that onto the show notes, and you can always find that on the transcript as well, correct? Yes. We don't expect you to have a pen and paper to write everything (laughs) down, but I do mention it because with podcasts, you can play something back and listen to it as many times as you'd like. And as John said, we have show notes and transcripts on the Autism Empowerment Podcast.org website for you to be able to get that further information afterward. So what are some of the benefits of the different types of in-person and online groups out there? Benefits. Benefits are important. Yes. (laughs) What's in it (laughs) for me, right? That's what we're here for, right? Yes. So in-person groups or support programs are really great for people who benefit from a face-to-face connection. It's a local connection oftentimes, especially with those in-person groups, and that can lead to get-togethers beyond the group. So it can help you build a longer-term relationship. You can go deeper and more in-depth. And it's positive, too, if you're going through a series or a program together like a 12-step program, or you're going through a series on IEPs or on trying to find a job, those types of things. It's nice to go through things with a cohort sometimes because you can build deeper relationships. Now, the benefits of an online group, they give you a wider range of people to speak with. There's more variety, more on the menu, more access. You can also jump in at any time. So online groups are convenient to your schedule. You can get input from people from other parts of the country and world, different walks of life. That can be really beneficial, particularly if you live in a small rural area or you really just don't know anyone in your area. Or perhaps for your own personal reasons, you'd rather be more private with your local area. So you want to check outside of your own for information. You can also ask autistic adults, though there's a lot what? of... Yeah. Ask autistic adults about what it's like <laughs> to be autistic? Yeah, so there's different groups online that are geared specifically to ask autistic adults. And these are for you to say, hey, parents, come in, ask us any question. Those in-person or those local online groups, those can be really helpful. If, say you want a pediatrician for your child or you need a dentist for yourself or you want to know what someone's experience with is with the Developmental Disabilities Administration. But be careful because ask Asking questions that are too general in groups might not have responses that are going to be that meaningful. For example, one question that I see pop up again and again is, what school district is best for my child? 
generally speaking, the people that are in these support groups can't really answer that. They can only answer to the experience of what school district their child has gone to. And most people haven't gone to more than one. And one school within that district as well. So frame your questions in a way that you're more likely to get specific relevant responses. That's actually something we could do a topic in and of itself. There's a lot of these things that we've been talking about that we may dive way deeper into as well. That's right. So with these groups online, a lot of times online friendships can develop because you can find people who've been down a similar journey. It's amazing sometimes at how deep of a friendship you can develop with somebody that's online that you've never met. If they happen to be in your local area, it may lead to offline socialization for you or other family members. So that might be an opportunity for playdates or get-togethers or social gatherings. Those are some of the benefits. I'm going to try to keep this train on the track still, if you don't mind. Choo, choo. <laughs> wow face. What are some of the differences between online groups and forums? What are some of the benefits and drawbacks of each? Okay, let's go with online groups first. I'm going to go with Facebook as an example because it's the online platform I'm most familiar with for groups and it's the most popular. In Facebook, groups can be either public or private. So a public group would be something where anyone on or off Facebook can see who's in the group and what they post. A private group would be a group where only members of that group can see who's in the group and what they post. Then breaking that down further, private groups can be either hidden or visible in search. So you may need to be referred to a group to even know it exists. They're also usually free unless it's tied in with a program or a service that you purchase. Many people already have an account, particularly if they're in our generation, John, Gen X or older even. People that are our kids age, they're probably going to be on a different type of a platform. Our, our son would say it's cringy. <laughs> <laughs> cringy, yes, indeed. Who uses Facebook? But on Facebook, there's a lot of choice. So that's a really good thing as well. You've got a lot of choice and variety to search from. You do use your real name, or at least you're supposed to. So that's a good thing because it might result with less trolling, but it can also be a privacy issue thing. You do generally have to request access to these private groups, and that may be a wait. And you may have some qualifying questions that you have to answer first. Some of the drawbacks of these types of groups online are that there's a quick post turnover, depending upon the number of people that are in the group. So if it's a really active group, there just may be so many different postings, the lifespan of a particular topic or question might not be very long. And if you're not participating in the group very often, you may miss a lot of things. And also topics may be repeated many times by different people coming in because they don't realize the question was asked previously and the questions aren't threaded under a subject heading. So they're more difficult to search. You're also competing with a lot of other Facebook noise. When you're on Facebook, there's lots of different things to see. Including ads. <laughs> including ads. The thing too, and this is a plus and a minus, is that you can lurk in a group unless they require you to introduce yourself. You can usually just lurk and not have to post if you don't want to. But remember that administrators and moderators may see that you've seen a post. That's just something for you to know from a privacy standpoint. So what's the difference between that and a forum? So think of a forum as an electronic message board or an online discussion site where people can hold conversations in the form of posted messages. Back in the day, those were BBSs, right? So, yeah, we're going really old school. So, yeah, back in the 80s, the bulletin board systems, the public message boards. Generally, a lot of bulletin board systems or forums for different types of topics, and they usually sit on their own websites. They can be free or paid. They may have a membership cost, although you can certainly find quite a few that are free. 
Some offer other options like general chatting, but generally it's a discussion board format. So you're going to have better categorization of topics and posts. The topics are going to be threaded and the discussion often continues over an extended period of time. Generally speaking, those conversations live on the site for as long as they're active. So it could even be over years that there might be a topic, which is really good if you're going in and you're trying to get feedback on a particular issue. You can see a lot of response. The thing about forums, and this can be good or bad, depending upon your viewpoint, is that most people use pseudonyms. In fact, it's almost always that you're going to see pseudonyms there. So that means you might run into trolls or people that may not have the best intentions in mind. Generally, with forums, access is automatic once you've set up an account. You don't really have a waiting period. People are more likely to have multiple accounts, especially for private topics. They may have different pseudonyms and then a throwaway account for something else. You may or may not need to log in to read discussions, but you will need to log in to post. It's a lot easier to search for topics, but it may be harder to get initial engagement on a topic. So what are some of the examples of popular forums our listeners might be interested in checking out? I'll give two. The first one I'll give is wrongplanet.net. Wrongplanet is an online community for individuals on the spectrum, people who have ADHD or other neurological differences or mental health conditions. The site was started back in 2004 by Dan Grover and Alex Plank. It's been around a while, and it includes a chat room, a forum, and articles describing how to deal with daily issues. The main portion of their site that people pay attention to are the forums. Their people will use pseudonyms, their forums are broken down into topics. So if you're coming in for the first time, you'll see things like general autism discussion, coping in life. You'll see different topical discussions. You'll see forums broken down by age or gender. There's even foreign language boards. Then you'll see things that are subcategories. Adult autism, adolescent autism, parents discussion, women's discussion, LGBTQ. You can even break down further into employment, love and dating, school life, advocacy. There's almost everything that you can think about that would be related to the interests of people on the spectrum or with other neurological differences. Over time, literally there have been millions of posts and tens of thousands of threads. You can see the popularity of a topic and learn what people are talking about. So that's a really good place for people to check out and go. What's the second one that you want to share with our listeners? The second one is Reddit. Hey, and I've I, heard of that. You've heard of that. <laughs> Even me. Even you. Reddit's a pretty popular site. There's actually about 430 million Reddit users the last time I heard. The popularity there tends to be a little bit younger than you, John. 18 to 29. Hey. <laughs> 30 to 49. Oh, wait, you're not in there either. Uh, <laughs> Ouch. Where's that groaner now? Wait. Oops. So essentially, Reddit is a social news platform that allows users to discuss content that other users have submitted. What that means is it's a massive collection of forums where people can share news and content and comment on other people's posts. To help people police the site and prevent spammers from bombarding people, Reddit came up with a system called Karma Points. So users get karma by their comments and links being upvoted by others in the community. More popular threads, things that get more upvotes, are going to show up higher in search. Then it's broken down where each forum is called a subreddit and it has a forward slash r forward slash in front of the name. So you might have a forum which would be autism, Aspergirls, autism translated, or parenting. Those are four of the popular autism related forums that you might see. 
Thanks for that, Karen. So next, what are some of the things to watch out for that can help people evaluate whether a group or a forum is right for them? This goes a lot into attitudes and beliefs, too. So the first thing that I would say is how comfortable are you with divisive discussion? This may be taken care of in the rules section, taboo topics, that kind of thing. However, on forums, things may be more anything goes because of a sense of anonymity. Some people are very black and white with certain topics. When you're new or you're early in your autism journey, or maybe you've known you've had autism for a while, but you really haven't spent much time online to see the culture and how divisive the autism community can be, you may not realize what these divisive topics are. But it is important to know that it's there. In certain areas, certain topics are going to cause controversy. So there are trigger points. I'm not going to go into these in great depth. It could certainly be a different show for each one. But I want you to be aware of these because we don't want to contribute to ignorance. We want people to know what some of the challenges are. And if we're trying to support ourselves or a loved one or we're parenting a child, there are some topics out there that can be triggering to people and to be mindful of that. Sometimes it's really good to go into depth and learn multiple sides of the issue so you can determine where people are at. But sometimes, you know what, I just don't want to go into another conversation where I just know people are going to be fighting. These are a few of the trigger points that you would see in different forums and threads. Again, I'm going to talk from a general basis. Certain autism organizations can be very triggering. Different types of therapy, symbols or logos that organizations use, functioning labels, people that use fix-it or cure talk. And then again, these are beyond the scope of the discussion, but it's important to know that there's a lot of arguments when it comes to a lot of these topics. I didn't include vaccines, but that's another one. So arguments can lead to a toxic atmosphere. So when you're thinking about what's going to be a right forum or group for you, if you really don't want to be part of a toxic atmosphere, keep that in mind. A lot of times you can avoid that by looking at some of the rules for the groups, but sometimes you can't. Conversely, there are times when people can be too supportive and not provide constructive criticism if you really do want it. Now, sometimes you just really want to have people like what you posted, and that's okay. Other challenges might be that a forum or a group isn't really large enough to provide enough active input, or the people mean well, but they don't have the experience or the background to really be able to help you in a meaningful way. Having a place to vent and to share is really good. And it can be very affirming and supportive. But if you're looking for a specific type of support, affiliated groups and theme groups may be a better fit for you. Even in private groups, you have to assume that what you share may not be private. In fact, I just assume if I'm in a group that it's possible that anyone out there could screenshot anything that I typed. So if I was going to make mention of my child or if I was going to post a picture, I would want to know that once it's posted, it lives on the internet forever. Because someone could grab that and then share it and then your child could actually see it down the road. Right. So you want to be mindful of those things. And people can modify things. Photoshop is a thing. People can auto-dub voices. It's something for you to just really be aware of, particularly when you're thinking about the private things that you might share online. Sometimes in online groups, too, you really don't know for sure who's there behind the screen and people can pretend to be someone they're not. 
if you're in one of these divisive types of groups, it could lead to toxicity that goes beyond to cyberbullying or even being doxxed. What's that? What's being doxxed? So doxxed. Okay. So doxxed comes from documents and it's the act of someone taking your personal information and publishing it online. It could be your address, your phone number, family background. Essentially, they're doing something in order to harass or to incite violence against someone, to mess with their employment or their education. It's really a bad thing. Fortunately, it doesn't happen that often, but it happens, so you have to be very careful. And we don't mention these things to scare people, but to prepare them. Sometimes people on the spectrum and even those not on the spectrum can be really trusting and very naive, and particularly when you're online and you can't see a person face to face, you need to be really mindful of what you're willing to share. If it's a medically affiliated type of group, people might assume that HIPAA rules regarding medical privacy and patient types of things are going to come into play where your information is highly sensitive and protected. But that's not going to be applying to online groups. Things like FERPA at schools where you've got a Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act where they can't share your school-related stuff, that's not going to come into play with these online groups. A lot of these online entities and groups don't have those types of restrictions or protections. And even if they do have rules and privacy statements in advance, which is really important to have, sometimes they're difficult to enforce. In fact, they're often difficult to enforce beyond removing someone from a group. So the train's almost coming up to the station, but I do have one more question for you before we go or before we pull into the station and let everyone off. What are some of the strategies to encourage loved ones who are seeking support? I know that could be its own show in and of itself, and we may do that later down the road, but I think it's important to talk about that before we leave. You're right, John. This is the type of topic that is certainly worthy of its own show. The reason we're including it in this one is because you might have come into this show looking for support for yourself and trying to figure out your priorities and your whys and what your objectives are. At some point in time, you may have a friend or a family member or a loved one who is needing of some type of support. And we wanted to include things to think about because we know that you would want to be that ally. So I'm going to give you a few things to be thinking about here, knowing that, again, we could go much deeper. The first thing would be don't start the discussion about support during an argument and don't start the discussion in a crisis-filled moment. If it's a legitimate mental health crisis, certainly trying to find a support helpline would be beneficial, but it's not the time to be telling somebody about a support group if they're really in hard crisis. If you're in the middle of an argument, it's not likely to go well. Your loved one may be aware that they need help, but they may be afraid to seek it, especially if they think that you're going to judge or treat them differently. A lot of us keep our stress or our challenges really close inside and we're vulnerable. You want to try to use non-stigmatizing language when talking to them about their mental health. Think about what you would want someone to say to you and use that to determine what might be good to say to them. Assure them that you will support them through the therapy and support process. One good way to do this would be to tell them how much you love them or care about them and will support every effort to have them feel better. You might help by engaging an expert or finding a group to help their emotional state because they may not be in a place where they're ready to do that for themselves. And by helping to do that, it's a way to show that you're supporting and caring for them. But sometimes you're going to get pushback. I can imagine that. You need to prepare for resistance. A lot of times where resistance is coming from is fear. Whether you're their parent, their spouse, their sibling, their friend, or another relative, tell them how important your relationship with them is to you and how your relationship might benefit from seeking therapy. However, it's really important to avoid giving an ultimatum as it can cause emotional distress, and it's going to lead someone more likely to feel defensive. One way to help them is to name their admirable qualities. 
Oftentimes, it's easier to appeal to someone by pointing out what you like about them. Not only does it make them feel good and know that you care, when you point out someone's positive qualities, they're more motivated to take the necessary steps to better themselves even further. It's also important that you explain specific areas of problematic behavior without coming off as judgmental. This can be difficult because people can often perceive your tone as different than what you intend, particularly if they're feeling guilty about something or they're feeling embarrassed about something. Many people who refuse therapy may claim that they don't have a problem. By pointing out specific problems in a loving way, you can help them see the need for seeking professional help. But again, this can be tricky as they may have a tendency to be defensive. So remember to share those admirable qualities too. If you've gotten support before or if you've gone through a similar type of situation, explaining your personal experience and explaining those benefits can help them feel that you relate to their situation and that you really do get it and you get them. But if you don't get their personal situation, don't pretend that you do. That would be called being a poser and that's going to lose trust with them. So listen to their reasons for hesitation. Sometimes they might think, oh my goodness, this is going to take too much time. I can't do this. I don't have the time to do it. But in reality, if they invest in their well-being and emotional health, they're actually going to save time down the road. They may not want to share. That could be an embarrassing thing. That can be very hard for someone to do. So it might be a situation where you want to find a place or forum or something where they can go and listen in first or build trust. In all things, you want to be patient and respectful with them. You want to be a role model and an ally. And if they're just not ready to go yet, that's okay. Perhaps share an article about an area that they may need support with. Build that trust. You can try to encourage someone to go to a support or therapy, but unless you're willing to offer meaningful support, they may be unlikely to follow through, and they're going to really have to want it at some point. Some people don't know where to start when seeking help, so if you can help guide them in finding a suitable group or perhaps a therapist in the area, depending on their preferences and their priorities, you can contact places on their behalf or maybe research various professionals for their credibility and reviews. You can help them, since you've gone through this process of determining your own priorities, know what to look for. And to be able to help them know what to look for, once they know their what and their why, it'll also seem like it's of more benefit for them. I would also include active listening to the person as well, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Active listening is important. Being able to hear what someone says and repeat it back to them or paraphrase it back to them so that they feel heard or understood, that's a great quality to be able to have when having discussion with people. Wow. We've really gone over a lot of different points. And as your conductor today, we've now just pulled into the station and I want to thank Karen for being willing to answer all of our questions. And I'm going to turn it back over to her to close us out. Thank you so much for moderating today, John. This is a lot of information to cover. And I know some people probably felt like I was fire hosing tons of information at them. The beauty of a podcast is you can listen back to it. You can get the transcripts. You can see our show notes. This isn't to make you feel overwhelmed. This is to help you feel encouraged. As we've said before, autism is a journey. We're all on a life journey, and we're here to meet you along the way. And that's where you're at in the place you're at right now. We're all going to need support. We all benefit from it. And so this is just a podcast that can help you think about these things and help you when you're ready to search for support on what steps you might want to use to take next. We appreciate you hanging out with us, and thank you for your time. You've been listening to the Autism Empowerment Podcast. 
If you'd like to get connected with our community, as well as all the great support and content we have planned for the future, please hit the subscribe button and visit www.autismempowermentpodcast.org for show notes, transcripts, social media details, Spectrum Life magazine, and more. As a 501c3 nonprofit charity, we rely upon support from listeners like you to produce our podcast and other programs. We appreciate you considering a tax-deductible donation today. Thank you again.